Hello and welcome back to the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. This programme is where we explore some of the key trends that are shaping the world of work. And few of those trends are as hot right now, or as hotly debated, as the effects of artificial intelligence or AI. What's brought this into the headlines is the launch of ChatGPT. ChatGPT is a natural language processing tool driven by AI technology. Two things seem to make it particularly interesting, or scary, depending upon your point of view. The first is how well it seems to be able to mimic human language. It can answer questions or write text or code. And the second is how quickly it has been adopted. Within two months of launch, it had attracted more than 100 million users. It's clear from this that the impact of artificial intelligence on the world of work is not something we need to plan for in the future. It's here and it's now, and we need to deal with it. So to discuss how the world of work might do this, I have with me two distinguished guests. The first is Antonio Cassilli, who is a professor of sociology at the Polytechnic Institute of Paris and is co-director of the Deep Lab Research Group. Welcome, Antonio. Thank you. And joining us online is Stacey Haller. Stacey is in Boston and she is Chief Career Advisor at ResumeBuilder.com and she has more than 30 years of experience in staffing, recruiting and career counselling. Stacey, welcome to you too. Thank you so much. Okay, let me start by putting the same question to both of you. Massive amounts of hype around ChatGPT. ChatGPT is one form of artificial intelligence. We are told that this time it is going to revolutionize the world of work. Is this true or is this hype? Let me start with Antonio. Well, um, well, first of all, thank you for uh, not pulling the number. Uh, this intro was written by ChatGPT. A lot of journalists tend to do it. Yes, Ella. this was written I by re- a human. I really appreciate it. Well, anyways, so uh, my uh, point is that basically uh, there is a lot of hype, as you pointed out, and uh, uh, this hype uh, is uh, actually um, produced or uh, prompted uh, by the very uh, persons who produce uh, ChatGPT. OpenAI is a, a company that has to sell a product, and this product uh, is, of course, um, well, destined to be uh, uh, used in several industries, uh, in training, in consulting, in uh, software development. So, of course, they are interested in uh, us believing that it's going to revolutionize the sectors. And uh, it's not a surprise because uh, the uh, OpenAI uh, researchers have published uh, recently a paper uh, that estimates the number of uh, uh, jobs that will be uh, transformed and will be exposed to uh, OpenAI's technologies and they estimated that 80% at least will will have some exposure and 19% will have at least 50% of it of their tasks uh, entirely uh, changed. Now of course uh, a lot of factoids and uh, uh, this is typical. I mean whenever there is a major technological wave this comes with this kind of prophecies. Ten years ago, uh, back in 2013, uh, we were confronted with the emergence of deep learning, which was another type of AI technology, and that came with a famous uh, Oxford report, was written by two economists, uh, Frey and Osberg, 
they uh, uh, estimated that 47% uh, of uh, uh, existing uh, jobs would be, uh, you know, wiped away by AI. Uh, we are 10 years in, and this is not happening, despite a climate crisis, a geopolitical crisis, and a pandemic crisis. Okay, so we're all still here. So, yes, there is hype, but yes, there's also change. Stacey, would, would you agree with that? How would you put it? You know, I believe that we are ramping up along this road pretty quickly. You know, our original survey in February showed that one in four companies already have been replacing some job positions and job skills with this. And in a recent survey that we did a few weeks ago, that's ramped up. And we're seeing now that nine out of 10 companies currently are hiring people with this skill set. And organizations see bringing in this skill as making them more competitive, making them more cutting edge. So I don't know where this is going. And I think we've already seen the low hanging fruit with coders and more transactional type positions being replaced already in terms of writing job descriptions and interview requisitions. Things that are very transactional are quickly changing. And in the two months between our surveys, we've seen this gain a lot of acceleration. Now, where it will go, I think we all need to stay tuned. Right. Now, the world of work is constantly changing when technology is introduced. I mean, we've seen this since the Industrial Revolution and probably before. Um, When robotics were introduced, a lot of jobs changed. A lot of the jobs that were destroyed were what you might call blue-collar jobs, um, jobs in warehouses, in factories, and so forth. Is that going to be the same this time, or is it going to affect the white-collar, the lawyers, the accountants, the people with degrees as well? Who, who's, going to, who's going to be worst and best affected by this? In my opinion, it's definitely more on the white collar side, because what this does is anyone who is takes information, shuffles information, puts it back out there, and even now can analyze it, that is now being adopted with the chat. So it is more, to your point, in this stage of our technical evolution, where in the past it did affect more blue-collar workers in terms of robotics and automation, now it is affecting more white-collar workers. Now, the hope is, is that as those jobs go away, these organizations will be retraining them and redeploying these workers in other areas of the organization and give them a chance to get promoted and learn new skills. Antonio, what do you think? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I I would like to um, highlight that there is a difference between robotics and AI. Uh, robotics is designed to, uh, you know, perform physical tasks. So from that point of view, it's only normal that over the centuries it had replaced uh, human uh, labor. But in the case of uh, these cognitive technologies that we are using uh, today, we've been using for a, cent- for a century already, uh, they are designed to work with human beings. So to create some kind of uh, fruitful partnership. And of course, I mean, uh, they are uh, always welcomed with a salvo of, uh, uh, you know, uh, fear, thrill, uh, risks. And uh, this is also our own passion for uh, scary stories as a culture. But then on the other side, I'm also uh, attentive to what uh, Stacey just uh, said, that uh, the uh, companies are now hiring prompt engineers. Uh, 
Uh, and this is true. I mean, they are they are doing it. Uh, I I would like to ask what's going to be what's going to happen to those new professionals, to those new workers in one year's time, two years time, because uh, companies have been hiring new and exotic uh, uh, types of workers, Web three. Uh, are engineers, uh, metaverse designers, blockchain architects. Six months in, they were making coffees for coffee for the other uh, type of uh, you know actual engineers, actual architects. And this is something that, or, or on the other side, they you know morphed into more traditional, um, uh, more traditional type of workers. So this is something that we have to take into account. We have to be, uh, uh, of course. Uh, uh, cautious uh, uh, but we also have to i mean not to not to yield to this kind of uh, uh, passionate um, embrace of of technology so what is ai good at and what are humans better at <laughs> well <laughs> uh, ai is good at computing which is of course obvious because that's in the very definition of it but uh, uh, computing can uh, encompass a number of activities and what is striking and new with generative ais such as ChatGPT, dal e2 midjourney you know in several uh, in several types of media is that it that it, this kind of new ai solutions seem to be creative now, what's the human, uh, the human uh, forte, the, type, the cup of tea for a human? Well, humans are good at uh, quick judgment calls. Uh, they are good with common sense. They are good with uh, uh, simple uh, and uh, sometimes even obvious uh, uh, remarks. How many feet do you put in a shoe? Uh, of course, one. Even a two-year-old knows that. But an AI does not. And uh, this is the kind of common sense that uh, humans are needed for. And this is also the good and the bad news about the present uh, uh, labor market. Because the new competencies, the new skills that are required uh, are not high-level skills, are really uh, sometimes described as low skills or simple, uh, you know, uh, simple task-oriented skills, like, I don't know, uh, quickly saying if the image of an animal is a, a cat or a dog, uh, or a, a, a tree or a car. And this is used, this kind of skills are used to train the artificial intelligence that now we use. Stacey, would you agree with that? Where would you see AI having the edge over and where would you see humans having the edge in hiring? Well, I do agree that, you know, wherever you apply AI, you need someone to request information and someone to check it when it comes out and massage it. So there will always be some human interaction here, too. And I do agree it is a different kind of skill set, you know, even to be a prompt engineer. And just to let you know, in our survey with prompt engineers, they're mostly with companies that have 500 employees and higher. That was the crux of our survey. And those are the folks looking for prompt engineers because they could take this application into all areas of a company. They could work with HR. They could work with marketing. They could work with finance to see what skill sets could be generated quickly and faster through AI. But smaller companies of maybe 100 people, if they have someone sitting in their HR department, they will want that person to know the skills. So at least that part of their job can be more automated and they could focus 
on more strategic missions for the organization and do more human interactions like onboarding and other things. So I do see a skill set. A prompt engineer does not have to come out of the IT world. So I agree that it is a different skill set and it depends on the size of the organization and how it's going to be implemented and affected throughout. But we're seeing across the board, we have not come across one company that is not looking for this experience. Okay. Most people in the world, most workers in the world are employed in SMEs. I mean, that's five, 10 employees max, maybe. How is AI going to affect SMEs? Well, okay, that's a very good question. Uh, uh, the very good question to provide an answer. First of all, we have to say that uh, uh, there is a difference, of, of course, we know between employment and labor. Employment means that you are formally employed. And the fact that she mentioned, of course, is entirely true. It is also unevenly distributed worldwide because uh, the uh, vast majority of people who are employed are in northern countries. If you move to the global south, you have a 20 20% tops of people who are employed usually uh, by multinationals or international companies or the public sector. Now, uh, this means that we have the vast majority of uh, uh, the human uh, genre uh, that is now uh, simply uh, working but not employed. And uh, uh, this is something that is largely affected by these new technologies. Because uh, if we look at the uh, need for human contribution to AI. And if we see the development of some services that we sometimes refer to as uh, crowd work or data work, which are, is necessary, that are necessary to produce uh, these AI, well, usually uh, these people are recruited, these workers are recruited among the unemployed or in informally uh, employed, uh, informal workers of uh, the uh, global south. And this is something that uh, is changing entirely the balance between employed uh, workers and uh, informally or uh, um, sometimes peace workers, sometimes platform workers. Self-employed, yes, of course. So, platform, so, yeah. so it's not only a matter of SMEs or big companies now. So is there therefore a danger that actually greater application of AI in the world of work could actually increase the level of inequality between the big companies who Stacey's been talking about, who have 500 and a big HR department and so on, and the bulk of the world of work, which, as you say, is SMEs, informal employment, self-employed platform, and so on. Yeah, this is the typical uh, argument of uh, dualization of the labor market, and this is something that has been uh, observed uh, uh, over the last 50 years. And this has clearly accelerated in the last uh, 10 years, because we have seen a number of uh, uh, strange indicators, economically speaking. We have seen that despite this big uh, uh, increase in technological innovation, uh, the uh, productivity is not growing at the same level, and not, not growing at all, actually. Mm. And uh, uh, if we look at uh, uh, the number of persons who are employed, of course, I mean, uh, demographically, it is uh, only 0.1% 
normal that now we have a, a bigger number of persons who are uh, uh, employed, formally employed worldwide, but the number of people who are uh, informally employed or uh, uh, self-employed is uh, increasing too. So this is creating a situation that is unprecedented and AI has uh, played a big role in creating the situation. Stacey, it seems from people playing around with chat GPT that these forms of AI ha aren't really uh, have a problem with factual accuracy. Now, isn't this actually going to be a, a big problem for companies when it comes to hiring? Not not just with with CVs, but with, um, you know, going back and checking references, looking at past work and so on. How are companies going to deal with that? Well, I'm hearing two different um, aspects to that question. So one, I'm hearing you say in the hiring process, how do they know they're getting accurate information, right? Like if AI is writing their resumes and their cover letters and those kind of things, are they getting to see the right person? And my response is all that does is get you into the interview. So once you're in the interview, very savvy hiring managers, because this isn't new. People have their resumes and cover letters written by other people before AI, or they would go to job coaches or resume writing services. So in that regard, in the hiring process, it comes down to the interview process and really vetting out candidates one-on-one. -on -one. Well, okay, I can provide probably a more oblique uh, point of view because it comes from my own uh, professional experience. I, I teach in a university and uh, we are confronted as professors, we are confronted uh, with the same kind of uh, problem, the same kind of risk of people cheating. Uh, and what we have decided, and at least I've been, I've been uh, rather successful in putting in place some experiments with ChatGPT, is let's assume that people are going to use this uh, tool that is afforded to them, and let's work with them in order, first of all, to teach them uh, proper, fair, and uh, uh, possibly uh, not entirely biased use. And then secondly, probably we have to change our own uh, ways of working. We are now back to an, an increasing need for face-to-face -face interaction. And this is going to be actually, uh, you know, the kind of uh, uh, solution to many of these problems. We will probably change our way of using, uh, you know, face-to-face uh, -face interaction versus uh, um, uh, remote connections and remote communication. So are we going to need regulation? And frankly, is it practical given how fast AI seems to be moving? What do you think? I think we're going to have to take a look at this. I mean, we're at the very beginnings now. And in terms of companies' adoptions, from what we're seeing, it's ramping up very quickly. What those regulations should be, that is beyond my pay grade. But I do think we're going to have to take a look at this because it's proliferating everywhere. Antonio, what do you think? Yeah, well, uh, regulation, it's a thorny issue now uh, because you have the very companies who produce this technology that are calling for regulation, but for effective regulation. And the adjective here is a scary one, it's a scary part of it, because when they say effective, they mean a regulation that does not uh, prevent them from doing whatever they want. And usually these companies don't like to comply with existing laws. I am afraid that this kind of regulation discourse can be a double-edged sword. Uh, we have to, first of all, uh, you know, uh, respect 
fact, the law that already exists and the, the laws that already exist, you know, have to do with uh, uh, labor standards, uh, with security, uh, with non-discrimination, with privacy. For instance, this is a very good example. This is something that has been happening in the last few weeks uh, in Europe. Uh, all of a sudden, we had a major bug with ChatGPT that was exposing everybody else's uh, um, chat history to, to, you know, to all users. And uh, uh, this is the reason why first the Italian and then the Spanish and then the French and then eventually the EU uh, data authorities decided uh, to you know, gang up on ChatGPT. Uh, GBT and OpenAI and ask them to comply with existing laws. For, for, and the, the interesting part is that for the first time uh, in the history of privacy protection since uh, GDPR, uh, these data protection authorities said in their decision, uh, filing their decision, that uh, we have a problem because we do not know how OpenAI trains the AI with uh, private data. And that's the first time in, uh, at least to my knowledge, uh, where training is, uh, is emphasized to that extent. And this is important because we always consider that these kind of tools, these kind of AIs are intelligent per se, that they, they are born intelligent. They are not. They are constantly trained and retrained. And despite the fact that chat GPT, GPT means uh, generative pre-trained transformer, it means that it was trained in the past, but the training never stopped. We are training the AI whenever we use it, because if you see whenever you whenever ChatGPT provides you with a reply, uh, you have a thumb up and a thumb down. This is your uh, their way to prompt you to perform some free labor for them. Uh, that is basically uh, improving their AI solution. Right. Okay. Now look, we're almost out of time, so let me ask you both one final question, which is, what should employers and businesses, and indeed workers, be doing now? to cope with the oncoming wave of AI. And Antonio, let me give you the first go at that. Well, uh, first of all, do not use these AI as an excuse uh, to uh, further um, create precarious uh, jobs. Uh, this is an actual risk. Uh, AI is uh, a, a splendid tool, it's extremely useful. The risk is that uh, the number of tasks that uh, each one of us uh, will be, uh, you know, uh, eventually uh, prompted uh, to perform will increase exponentially in the next few years uh, because we now have to not only do our own jobs but also do the job of the prompt engineer and then anticipate the algorithm and then imagine uh, I don't know how to better format our texts and images and so on and so on. Uh, these new skills are usually not paid, and this is something that we see in the uh, well. Uh, zero increase of the uh, uh, real salaries uh, over time. So this is something that has to be addressed uh, by the regulators and by the employers. Thank you. And Stacey, final word to you. What should businesses and indeed workers be doing now to get with this? I think from a worker's standpoint, this is going to be an important skill to know. Just like when the proliferation of PCs and computers, everybody had to learn MS Office and Word, and everybody had to learn Excel. And I do believe that for workers to have the edge in getting positions in today's world, this is a skill you're going to want to have because companies are looking to hire that skill in all areas within the company. 
And I think employers have to stay on top of it too. And I agree that we should just not be creating these jobs that may go away in the future. I believe this is a skill that everyone is going to have at some degree in their work life. So just like we had to learn everything else, this is going to be another skill that everybody's going to eventually have on their resume. And companies have to watch how they apply it, how they use it. And if we go in good faith to even the playing field, that would be a good thing. Stacey, Antonio, thank you very much. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. So my thanks to Antonio Casilli and Stacey Haller. Please join us again soon for another edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. Goodbye.